0: And now the quote of the day by Billy Joel, American singer, songwriter, and pianist. Don't worry. I'm not going to sing this part, but I feel like I should. You can get just so much from the good thing. You can linger too long in your dreams. Say goodbye to the oldies, but goodies. Cause the good old days weren't always good and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. Today we look Way back to the good old days of the baby profession of interpreting in the United States. We learn a little bit about the working conditions, testing for interpreters, education for interpreters, a little bit of the perspective of deaf awareness at that time, and the milestones of the development of the profession over time. We even look at how one interpreting program got started in the state of Oklahoma. And we get this from a real person who was there. She tells it like it was, how it changed, and like it is today. We will see how some of the good things that we remember weren't always good, and how what we thought could be may not always be as great as we think, or as bad as we hoped. Wait, hmm? Yeah, I think you understand. So let's start listening to the real experience of my good friend, my good teacher, and my great colleague. Let's get started. Today our guest is a wonderful person, a friend that I've known a long time, who has influenced me in my career and my life. She was the department head of the university that I attended to learn American Sign Language and interpreting in Oklahoma. She hails from the big state of Texas and now lives in Oklahoma. She is an accomplished interpreter. She is a wonderful teacher, a wonderful colleague, and someone who will support you when you need it. Let's all welcome Joni Bice. Welcome, Joni.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your kind words.
0: Kind words for a kind person. Ah. You grew up in Texas, is that right?
1: I did. I was born there in Amarillo, Texas and stayed in Amarillo until I graduated from college and then got married and eventually ended up in Oklahoma. I've been here now almost 40 years.
0: So you got married quite young then, I guess. Yeah.
1: Oh, yes. I was just a child.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I
1: got. To, I had the opportunity to go to the University of Texas in Austin. Mm-hmm. That's I majored in deaf ed. I met Danny, my husband, while we were in Austin, and then we got married. Lived in Dallas, Fort Worth, Baytown, and then moved here.
0: Did you become an interpreter right out of college, or were you interpreting before?
1: Before when I was when I was growing up in Amarillo, I went to a church that had a deaf ministry. And so I grew up seeing that, you know, over in the corner, kind of, where the interpreters (laughs) and deaf people would be. I thought, yeah, I want to learn that someday. But there were always things, different activities for young people that got in the way of that. But when I graduated from high school, that's when I went to a sign language class at church. Because, of course, there weren't, at that time, classes at any of the colleges nearby or anything. Went to one of the... It's really interesting. Jan Humphrey,
0: Jan Humphrey, Mm -hmm. who
1: wrote our So You Want to Be an Interpreter book. She was my teacher. She grew up in that same church that I did. Oh, And we had about 100 people that came to the first class in the little sign language class. And she would just stand on the stage and say, This is the sign for mother. (laughs) This is the sign for father. And so show signs, you know, and then we would kind of try to practice a little bit and then go home. Well, that was like a six or eight week class. And then they decided to do the second level. Well, the second level, there were about 30 of us that stayed. then when we got to the third level, there were about three of us left. Wow! All three of us became nationally certified interpreters because of the great patience of the deaf people in that church. They were very kind.
0: I can imagine. So may I ask what year that was?
1: Let's see. That was 1971, 72.
0: And at that time, there were no degree programs, I guess.
1: Not that I was aware of. Yeah. There may have been something on the East Coast, but I don't don't think so. I don't think there was at that time. I think back then, at that point, they were still doing like, you know, invitations to people doing six week training to kind of get some people out there who could interpret who already had the language.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: RID was pretty new at the time. Mm-hmm. Jan was a real proponent of preparing for certification and doing what you could to be the best you could be. And that was before we were even getting paid to interpret. So it was a very different time.
0: Wow. So yeah. you started interpreting in the church?
1: At church, yeah. And at that time I was going to junior college in Amarillo, did two years there, and then decided to change my major to deaf I was majoring in biology. And I thought, ooh, I could teach deaf kids. That would be a way to be involved with deaf people still. So
0: and get paid. I did
1: that. And get paid. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So moved to Austin. where And, of course, the School for the Deaf is in Austin. So it was a great place to really dive in.
2: Yeah.
1: And there was a deaf church across the street from the School for the Deaf. And back then, all the deaf kids had to go to church on Sunday. Ah. It was kind of mandatory. Parents had to sign up for which church they would go to, you know. So there were about 300 deaf kids that would go to the church on Sunday. So it was just a great place for exposure to all kinds of communication systems and modes. It was a great
0: time. And is this where you met Danny or?
1: Yeah. I met him at the church in Austin. Yeah. I think if I hadn't known sign language, he probably wouldn't have messed with me at all. <laughs> you know, his parents are deaf and grew up in a deaf home and was A really good signer and been around a lot of people that had tried to learn and not do well. So Mm -hmm. I think if I'd been like that, he would have gone. Yeah, (laughs) I (laughs) know.
0: So was he interpreting at that time?
1: He, He was working at a, what was it called? Work evaluation center. There were deaf students at that time the deaf student population was huge because of the rubella epidemic and that kind of stuff. so there were a lot of deaf students at this at the school at that time. there were so many that they had to do they did some testing, and students who scored lower went to a different place that they learned more about job possibilities, vocational technology that kind of stuff. And he worked there with those students. I see. So many students. They had a South Campus and East Campus, and then that Work Evaluation Center, too. There were just so many.
0: Was his sister, if I may uh, throw her out there. You bet. His sister, Vesta. The reason I always remember her is my mother's name was also Vesta. So
1: Is that right?
0: Yeah. My, my mother wow. and... Your sister-in-law are the only ones I know that are named Vesta.
1: And her grandmother, too.
0: Oh, I see. Danny's well. grandma
1: was Vesta. Yeah. Yeah, but she was living there at the same time okay. in Austin. They were both working at that work evaluation center. Eventually, she talked me into going out with her brother. and
0: oh, I see. <laughs> the rest
1: is history.
0: <laughs> in those early days, were they critical of your signing skills at all?
1: No, they were really nice about it. They were just so, so happy that I could sign. They were real encouraging. And her uh, Danny's parents, too, they were just thrilled. They're like, ooh, somebody who can sign. That's awesome.
0: That's so different from today in the U.S., isn't it? Yeah. Don't they teach ASL in some of the, like, not elementary schools maybe, but the high schools?
1: Uh-huh. They do. But that's that's definitely a, a newer thing. Back then, when I was, I mean, I was majoring in deaf education and we didn't have to take a sign language class. Yeah. So things have changed quite a bit since then. What's really strange to me is when it came time for us to do our student teaching, mm-hmm. some of the students that I was going to be graduating with, they were like, ooh, where can we learn some sign language? <laughs> And they did offer a continuing ed class at the college, So I mean, at the university. So some of them took a course there. But I just, I can't imagine going into the classroom not knowing any sign language, but it wasn't required. So if some, you know, if you didn't take that upon yourself to do, you wouldn't. It was so, so much so that people didn't learn it, that when you did go into the classroom to do your student teaching, and you could sign, the students were like, what? You know how to sign? That's amazing.
0: Wow. Isn't
1: that sad? They were so used to not having people who could
0: sign in there. Well, and that was what? That was in
1: 74, 75.
0: So almost 50 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Things have changed a lot. Unfortunately, there are still countries in the world that, that this is still the norm.
1: that's strange.
0: It is strange. Yeah. A big thank you to everyone who shares this podcast with a colleague and friend. If you want to support the show even more, check out the show notes for links to buy me a coffee because it's very embarrassing to fall asleep during an interview. Thank you. Let's go back. You say you did get your certification through RID, the National Certification for Interpreters.
1: We did. I took the test the first time. In 74, I think. Yeah, it would have been probably 74. Thinking that I was ready because there were some deaf people who were so kind and said, oh, you're (laughs) wonderful. You can Uh, take this test. One man said, you will pass with flying colors. Oh. Little did he know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Those colors just flew right by. (laughs)
1: That's flew right by. I could sign... I could interpret pretty well if I was going into sign language, going into spoken English, quite the different story. I remember watching the little video going mother, car, drive. (laughs) It was just just words here and there. I got 20%, 20% on that part. Yeah. So I was like, okay, now I know what to do, how to get ready. And in 76, 77. 77. Danny and I both went and got our certification at the same time. It was a much different experience then.
0: Yeah. I know the test has changed quite a bit over the years. What did it look like then?
1: Well, what did it look like then? We had a movie to watch. <laughs> <laughs> you had a little reel to reel.
0: Oh,
2: real to reel. Uh-huh. Projector.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. That They had films that we would watch and put English interpretation too, and you had to do a video that was more interpreting, one that was more transliterating. And then they had a cassette tape with your spoken message that you put into interpretation or transliteration. Okay. And so you take those four different parts, and then depending on your score, you'd get either a transliterating certificate or an interpreting certificate or a reverse interpreting certificate back then that's what they called interpreting into spoken English reverse oh. interpreting
0: so not <laughs> not talking backwards then okay right, right yeah, okay. you, can, that's you good. can
1: understand why they finally did change that
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was kind of an odd odd name for that. Wow. Yeah. But then if you got a high enough score in those three areas, then you got the comprehensive skill certification, which is the CSC. I see. Yeah.
0: I see the CSC. I okay. think CSC, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, let me be clear about that. You, It was yes. called transliterating and interpreting. So, transliterating is more interpreting, but Following the spoken language structure? Right. Okay.
1: Conceptually accurate signs, but in English order.
0: Okay. Hmm. Did you have to pay for that test?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Probably not as much as today, I imagine, but
1: No, not even close. Not even close. But we had live panel for that. You know, deaf people that were actually sitting there giving you feedback. It was great.
0: So after getting that, how did you get jobs as an interpreter?
1: Well, back then, they, there weren't any referral agencies, but people, if they needed an interpreter, could, could look it up on RIDs. Well, they didn't have a website. How did they look us up? <laughs> hmm. How did they get it? Must have been word of mouth. Somehow, they knew how to find us. <laughs> but there weren't a lot of opportunities to interpret you know, back then, unless you were doing something with vocational rehab or um, if there was some big thing. I remember one time, first time that I did anything for, um, it was the Texas Senate, Texas Congress, something Mm -hmm. that I interpreted for. And that was the first time I actually got paid to interpret. And it was like three something an hour. And I thought,
0: Ooh, this is three dollars. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it was so exciting. We get paid for this. But then it was um 78. We moved to Baytown, Texas. There's a junior college there where a lot of deaf students went. And that's where most of the jobs were were if you did anything through VR, vocational rehab. They had like full-time jobs, so I worked as a full-time interpreter at the at the junior college there in Baytown.
0: Hmm. So the money was through the government office of vocational Rehab.
1: Right. They were the ones who really took up that responsibility for a long time. Department of Human Services, those kinds of agencies that would that saw the need for that and provided those interpreting services for deaf students.
0: So you didn't have some agency or that would call you and say, yeah, we need an interpreter no. here now. Okay. So how did it evolve to the way it is now? What What was the next step when you you thought, wow, this is much better?
1: Well, the next step really, really didn't come until the Americans with Disabilities Act.
0: And what year was that?
1: That was, that was huge. That was an, in 1990, yeah, and that that was huge for interpreters, because prior to that, again, any work that you got usually came through vocational rehab, because when they would have a deaf client that they're working with to help these people, help them find a job, they would pay for interpreters to go to the doctor's office with them for evaluations, they'd pay for interpreters to go for um, any kind of educational thing or job, on-site job things that they needed. And that was really about the only way that you could get paid as an interpreter until 1990. We actually started our interpreter interpreter training program in 88, 89. And at that time, people who were interested in interpreting, they'd come and talk to me and I'd tell them, this is such a fun thing to do. This is a great skill to learn. It's it's very needed. You'll need to have some other job to support yourself. <laughs> but this would be a lot of fun to have as a side thing, you know. <laughs> and then just a couple of years later when the ADA went through and places were required then to provide access to deaf people, it just shot off. You know, it was it was incredible how Quickly, the demand came in for interpreters. And all of a sudden, we were able to say, you can actually get a job (laughs) doing this work. You can actually either work in a school or you can work, you know, on the job, on job placement kinds of things. VR was hiring full-time interpreters at that point. Mm -hmm. And actually, vocational rehab in Oklahoma is not everywhere. But in Oklahoma, vocational rehab continue to pay for interpreting services for doctors Mm -hmm. for any time that a deaf person needed to sign a contract they would provide an interpreter for that kind of setting Mm
2: -hmm.
1: lots of other settings vocational rehab would still pay for that even after the ada went through Mm -hmm. but then eventually they had to reduce that they did it gradually thank goodness but Mm -hmm. they said you know the ada requires it now you doctors have to pay for your own Mm -hmm. interpreters it was met with a little bit of backlash, but
0: yeah, of course,
1: <laughs> nobody wants to pay. But yeah, it was a, quite a change after the ABA.
0: So you set up the program in eighty-eight, eighty-nine in Oklahoma City mm-hmm. at Oklahoma State University. Uh, and that's the same place that I went to many years later, of course.
1: <clears throat> <laughs> of course.
0: How did that develop? How did you get it started?
1: Well, it originally OSU, the Oklahoma City campus had deaf students that were vocational rehab clients so vocational rehab paid for them to go to school, paid for the interpreters who would work with them. Well having them on campus caused an interest in Sign language for students, hearing students, teachers, people that worked on campus, they became interested in wanting to learn sign language, so it started off with sign language classes mm-hmm. and that was well very that was the late late seventies, maybe early eighties when they started offering sign classes and then when I came on board, that was in eighty Eight, I believe. That's when uh, University of Arkansas Little Rock mm-hmm. they had a interpreter training program at that point, and several others, of course, were coming up across the country. The University of Arkansas Little Rock they were really helpful to us in advising and sharing curriculum with us, and we we talked with them about how we could propose this program so that we could actually have an interpreting program on campus. And our president was real excited about it and very supportive. And so we were able to put together a proposal and they they took it and we ran with it.
0: How did you find the teachers for this?
1: Well, Ruth Strozdis, you remember, she was mm-hmm. already doing some teaching in the teaching some of the ASL courses. And there were a couple of other people, too, who had been teaching. And so we just recruited them and went from there. So nobody, none of us had had any real training in how to teach interpreting. Mm-hmm. We just kind had of to, had to wing it. But then, of course, <laughs> with the help of the um, University of Arkansas and Little Rock, they did have some curriculum that was, really helpful that's yeah but it was it was a new thing
0: mhm they already had a sign language program there did they keep them separate sign language and interpreting separate or did it kind of meld into one department or
1: it kind of yeah it was one department okay back then it was just all all together and we yeah. only had the interpreting program was a certificate program to start with and then it grew into the associate degree Mm -hmm. program
0: like a two-year degree right which is kind of like half of a bachelor's degree
1: but but of course then we expanded it to a three-year degree that was still not a bachelor's degree but
0: but at least more experience yeah
1: we had to get more more experience in there
0: it is great to see the development of our profession through the eyes that saw it as it happened. Joni gave us some wonderful stories to look at to see where we started, how those who worked in those conditions, how they struggled to improve, to educate, and to make a better place for interpreters and the communities they serve. For those of you in the U.S., it's good to see how far you've come and to be grateful for what you have now. Yes, there's always room for improvement. There's always a need to strive for better. But never forget those who came before us, who struggled to get to where we are now. The interpreters, deaf and hearing, and the communities that we've served. Those individuals all went through what we don't have to now. And those of us in other countries can look at that example, at those stories, and see how they improved themselves, especially through the story of one university helping another start a degree program for interpreters only a few hours away, because they both had the same goal, to improve the education for interpreters to support the communities that we serve. And that is how it's done working together, those individuals who have the heart to struggle through, to improve, and to see what can be done, working together, helping each other for the common goals. Next week, we'll hear more from Joni. Smile, laugh, and learn a little bit more. Until then, keep calm. And as the song I quoted in the beginning, keep on keeping the faith as you keep interpreting. I'll see you next week. Take care now.